Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's amazing program. Tonight is program share number 89 with Let's Get Real and Coach Menachem Bernfeld. I want to thank everybody for coming here on this beautiful Sunday warm night, midwinter vacation. I'm assuming everybody's uh, home, so you might as well come to the share. What else is there to do? So we're going to get into a very interesting share tonight. Again, I want to thank everybody. Uh, again, the share is all done by people that come and post it on different chats and to their family, what's up statuses, and people let people know about it, and it's Chazak Transal people. So this is your share. We're all here tonight because of you. We're doing it for, for everybody. We're doing this together. As Rabbi Yaman, uh, Dr. Yaman Tepfer's father calls the Shir, Rabbi Moshe Wamger, Sesichis Chaverim, and we're going to try to really get into it tonight. Um, again, if anybody wants to join every Sunday, I send out the, what's, the WhatsApp statuses, the flyers, please uh, WhatsApp me personally at 848-525-0066, 848-525-0066. Save my number your phone, and every Sunday morning I will send you the flyer. You can join. And as I say, every week, not every Shir is for everybody. Tonight's definitely not for, not for everybody. Tonight is... Tonight's off the charts, but it's deep and it's knowledgeable, and we have a lot to talk about, so we'll get into that soon. Uh, for all those that are watching the replay of this on YouTube, please click on the like button for Coach Menachem Berenfeld. Click on the, the subscribe button every Monday, what is it, around 2 a.m., 3 a.m., Menachem goes to sleep. After he finishes learning, he uploads the share so uh, everybody can get it and they can know what's coming on. Uh, I want to first thank all our advertising sponsors, the Lakewood School for promoting us here in Lakewood, New Jersey. Special thank you to Robbie and Yanif from Chazak for promoting us on the Chazak channels. We appreciate it. A special thank you to Chayla Kaufman and Shmuel Summer from JCN, the Jewish Content Network, for always promoting us across all the Jewish digital platforms. We appreciate that. And Menachem and the Coach Menachem Show is collaborating with OK Clarity to bring greater health and wellness to the Jewish community around the globe. OK Clarity is the online platform for mental health support for the Jewish community. OKClarity.com, you'll find the best therapists, coaches, nutritionists, engage in forums, and stay inspired. The links will be emailed after the show from Coach Menachem. Again, for all those that are here for the first time tonight, um, every Sunday night we do this at 9.30 Eastern time and tonight is share number 89 so we're doing this for a, little, for a while we're almost hitting two years Menachem remember when Menachem started and he was all black now you know two years later <laughs> so Baruch Hashem we're doing this for a while next Sunday February 6th we have an amazing share with Reb Chaim David Stark, Stark from Israel the Meshkiach of Center Yeshiva discussing Kedusha in our generation thriving in an unfiltered world it's going to be a deep, deep conversation about Kedusha, Shmiris, obviously eyes, your heart, soul, like really how to really stay in that very holy place. If anybody, please tell people about the program. It should be a very deep and meaningful program. He's waking up 4.30 in the morning to come. So um, it should be amazing. Tonight, we have this in honor of having Rabbi Yaman. You're not the first time here, you're the second time. And we always say, you know, it says in the Gemara that when a guy says, Eidus, but over here, since you're so good, we love you. We want you to come back again. So we're happy that you came back. And he's an amazing therapist. He's big in the field. We're going to get to him in a minute. Let's open up with opening words from Coach Menachem Berenfeld. Menachem, what yes. are we talking about tonight? We'll find out. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. Let's get real with Coach Menachem Bar Hashem. We have the supposed to have Rabbi Tepper back tonight. And tonight is a very interesting topic. Topic. Um, from doing a little bit of research, is, it is very fascinating. So when you mention the word psychedelic, everybody has a different reaction. And from the feedback that we got back, you know, 
You see, everybody's coming from a different place. Many have no clue what you're talking about, and others think they know everything about it. But I'm sure we're going to learn uh, tonight much more and um, to be a little bit more knowledgeable. And I believe some people are scared. It's, it sounds like a drug. And what are we doing here? But I think we're discussing tonight legal things in a therapy room with a therapist, with a doctor. So it's not you do whatever you want. Many people, before they take any medication, they say it's fila that they know the medication is not what's going to help them. It's more, it's Hashem is there to help. Like we, last week's Parsha, you learn out that we're allowed to go to doctors. Yes, we need to daven to Hashem and Hashem sends, sends these things to us so we should daven, but he gave us permission to go seek out doctors to help us. And uh, before taking a pill, many say it feel Hashem should help that it should do what it needs to do. The interesting thing is the thing is tonight is we're going not so much from the physical realm, more the emotional um, realm of talking about taking, being able to take something that's going to help for emotions, for deep, deep, real, real um, people who go through trauma or addiction. And many times it takes a long time in therapy and with this it sounds like again we're gonna hit tonight i don't know much but it sounds like it's there is something there there is a process the that works and they're doing the research and it's it's we really have to thank hashem you know there are many people that live in in, in dark places now if you don't understand that thank hashem for that but to be able to get out people can be living with depression anxiety or real emotional illness for for a very long time. And if this can take them out, we should thank Hashem. And again, thank you very much for being here tonight. And this is what we're going to hear. Mitchell to understand how it works and uh, if and for who. So thank you for being with us. Beautiful opening. Again, tonight is an interesting topic. I'll give you my overview, and then we'll get into it. I, I really didn't know anything about this topic. It's the last month or so, I got a little bit into it. I did a little research, very minimal. I still don't understand it. And I just know in the therapy world, between the therapists, I know a lot of therapists are here tonight. And I know that Rabbi Yaman is presenting by the definition by the therapy thing to discuss this. This is one of the biggest things that are happening right now in the therapeutic world, this type of medication. And it's not, it's not something new from my understanding. It's really been around for who knows how many years. But now it's like coming around about and there's again we'll get into it. There's amazing, there's amazing studies and things that are happening. And Rabbi Yaman is actually on the front line of it. And I know we're just gotta be open-minded. I'm coming here tonight open-minded. I want to understand it. I want to really get it. And I think it is a new frontier. We, we named this year new frontiers. I think that's where we're holding with this. So it should be amazing. I'm gonna read your bio, Rabbi Yaman, and then the opening is yours. Dr. Yaman for PhD. Dr. Yaman for PhD, CSAT is the founding director of Arbor Incentives an intensive outpatient program in an IOP located in Brooklyn, New York. The center specializes in providing cutting-edge integrative treatment for trauma, behavioral health, emotional wellness. He also maintains a private practice in Cedarhurst, New York, Brooklyn, New York, and Lakewood, New Jersey. Miyaman, thank you so much for offering to, your time for everybody tonight and coming here. The floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I first want to acknowledge um, the... Uh, the courage, the willingness of, of covering a topic like this, because you know, in the therapy world, um, it's something that is definitely very hot and very 
um, common and, and, and really starting to be explored by a broad, broad range of, of different modalities and different specialties. Um, but for the, the public, it's starting to, to, to get out there and uh, just as a platform, you know, this show, the willingness to, to be on the, you know, the front lines of, of issues takes courage. But uh, you're also you're bringing, um, I think, what can potentially be a lot of useful knowledge to to certain people, and 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 may very very well help um, help change lives, help heal lives, and that's the point that uh, that tonight is about. Um, I want to. We must start just for a moment or two by um, first of all. I want to just say I'm entering in this with with trepidation in the sense that I want to convey that whatever we discuss tonight really has to be understood um, with one word, with response, responsibility, with sensitivity, um, rather than just uh, feel like there's a, you know, a, a free-for-all with the modalities that we're going to discuss tonight. It's a very, very just sensitive, fragile, um, delicate uh, things that we're going to talk about tonight. So don't leave off in the middle. Don't don't only you know hear the first half or or take things out of context. But you have to really um, take the full picture in mind. The other thing is we have to talk for a moment and understand uh, the world of trauma. Although tonight is not about trauma, it's about uh, the treatment of trauma. We can only understand that in that context. And I'm going to read three sentences, four sentences that I think you know encapsulate trauma. Um, it's, it's hard to, to, to put it all in, you know, it can be its own sheer, it can be its own discussion for, 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 for days, but there's a small anecdote in a, in a very, very deep book um, written by Rabbi Lau called Out of the Depths. And he has a story in that book where um, he says that when he was very young and he was in Buchenwald and it was being liberated, he said during the excitement of that uh, time, there were blasts of gunshots uh, from the guard tower. He said one of the shots uh, that were fired hit the clock above the uh, above the camp above the camp gate, stopping the hands the hands of the clock at three fifteen. That was the time he remembers as a young boy. He said years later, on January nineteen ninety one, he said I went to visit the camps again on one of these tours, and to my surprise, I found that the clock handles stood at three fifteen. This is you know close to fifty years later. And if you want to understand what trauma is, yeah, that story to me encapsulates it because it means that time moves on. Um, you know, the, the clock moves, it doesn't stop for anything or anyone. But in a certain way, when a person goes through and lives through um, a traumatic experience to them, there's also a freezing of a clock that they, they stay in a certain way stuck in that um, sorry, they stay stuck in that story and they stay stuck in that moment and in that experience. And it happens on so many levels, on the level of their thinking, there are memories, there are flashbacks that they have to live with. Feelings-wise, their bodies stay stuck in a very, very frozen survival, hypervigilant state or in a very dissociated, disconnected, under-feeling, under-aroused state. The view of the world of themselves is very stuck. Usually they take blame because that gives them a sense of control. And then by taking that blame, they'll have a negative view of themselves stuck from that time. Their relationships are stuck. They can't trust people. They can't trust themselves. So there's, there's something that stays frozen 
um, because of that experience. And in that context, I want to talk now tonight about this new, but not so new modality called psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. Now, what are we talking about when we talk about psychedelic assisted psychotherapy? So what we're talking about is that usually when someone goes to a therapist's office, to a psychologist, a social worker, a coach, a mental health professional, you sit there and you're able to open up and discuss. But when we're talking about many issues, for example, traumas, deep-rooted things that are very difficult for a person to access, you may access the words or she may access the words, but to get beyond the defenses and the feelings and to really open up and access and heal and change, very often our ego stands in the way. What they started to realize in the 50s already, uh, Stan Graf and some of his colleagues already were doing this work. Um, they started to realize that by giving certain psychedelic assisted hallucinogens, um, what was happening was there were people that couldn't break out or couldn't access or couldn't discuss, couldn't heal, move past certain things that happened in their lives. And then by being under the influence of this and then being in therapy while being under the influence of this, so we'll discuss in a few moments how to do that, then by discussing these things without the, um, without the defenses, holding back certain feelings and not accessing the full trauma, but under the safety of the feeling of such a substance without the inhibition, they were able finally to access, to release, to discuss, and then ultimately to move past and to heal. And we'll talk about which substances um, have been used. Some of them are not yet legal. Some of them are being researched right now. But what ends up happening is, why does this process work? How does it work? How does it happen? So there's something at the core of what happens. There's something called the dissolution of the ego, which means that there are certain substances that are able to access parts of the brain and shut down the ego of the brain, which means there is that filter, this view that we use in our brains without even realizing it, our conscious self that you know, keeps things guarded, keeps things under control, filters things out that helps us survive. What happens with these substances, that part of the brain, the ego shuts down. And because of that, a few things happen. One of them can be there's non-duality. Suddenly the person feels like he is one with the universe because the ego is what separates. There's an I. There stops being an I. So one of the feelings are it's a very mystical experience where a person becomes one with, 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 with the world, one with nature, one with other people. Um, that's number one. Very often there's a death experience where the person, since there's no I, the person felt like they were going through something that they were, they were dying in that experience. That's another um, uh, experience that can happen during, um, during um, psychedelic experience. But there's also one of awe where there's something that's, that hasn't been experienced, that hasn't been felt. Now, why is this therapeutic? What, what does this do? So there are different explanations. And we'll get to a lot of this in some questions and answers, but there's something called a default mode network, which I want to um, just explain very briefly. Our brains usually work with very with predictions. 
we have patterns, the way we think, the way we see the world. We already have a narrative, uh, who, what, how, when. And that's very useful for us because we'd be overloaded by information. But when we're dealing with trauma and the default mode network is stuck, or we're dealing with certain patterns of depression or addiction or anxiety, what happens is when a destructive default mode network, the pattern, the prediction has already been in, you know, ingrained and you know, gr the grooves in our brain are working in that way. What happens here is, is like, you know, they have the snow, um, a little ball where, where all the little pieces, you know, you shake it up and it flows up and then it resettles. What happens when the ego is shut down, the default mode network is shut down. And then there's a tremendous potential. There's a, pr a tremendous potential that we're able to right now in a brand new way, um, break patterns. And then we're able to um, see things in a very, very, very different way, in a very new way, um, in a very healing way that um, is able to really, for the very, very first time, break those old patterns and start something, a potential for something very, very new. And that happens in therapy. That's number one. Number two is we're able to access. Um, hold on one second. You're able to, I apologize, you're able to access on um, going back to memories for the very, very first time that you were too guarded, but under these drugs, you're able to do them, revisit them, whether you are trying to revisit them or not, they come up and you're able to re-access them, but in a whole new healing way, in a calm way, because you don't have those defenses and therefore healing is able to come out in a whole, whole different way. Um, another thing that happens is that the whole, the brain is able during that experience to really make brand new connections. Um, so when you come out, you're able to have that trauma, but it's connected to different resources, different supports that are going on. So it's just a very, very mysterious experience. But what the research is showing is, is that after these sessions, people who've had PTSD, depression, addiction, they are coming out of these sessions, but in a healed um, way that they weren't able to access for, for many years in therapy. It's not a magic bullet. It's, it has its own challenges like we'll discuss, but there's a tremendous, tremendous potential for healing that comes out. So that's uh, my short introduction, but I'm happy to uh, open and elaborate on so many of these different um, pieces. I wanna even share with you, you know, one, one small anecdote um, that, that, that will, I think, put it into some perspective. Yeah. I'm, I was doing a session and um, this individual who was going through the therapy had lost a very, very, very close dear friend um, years back. And like all grieving and all mourning, it stays in the heart. And for this individual, that was something that he never ever was able to really properly let go. And uh, this was a ketamine assisted uh, therapy session. Ketamine is the one substance right now that um, is officially legal. You can use it um, as, a, um, as a psychedelic. It's not a traditional psychedelic. That's the only one right now that uh, can be used off label uh, for psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. So we were doing the session. And then as the session was over, he, just, he said he was a friend for years. There was, there was a river 
and he was standing next to the river. And he said, in the river, suddenly he saw this friend that he hadn't seen and that he'd been grieving in the morning. And he said he had reached out his hand and this friend was there. And he said it was the most warm, loving moment he had ever seen. This is where his brain went. And they reached out, they touched each other. And then in, the, in this experience, he took a fruit and he sort of put it in the river and his friend floated away and held the fruit that he had given the friend. And then he came out of this experience saying, I just feel at peace. I feel at peace like this friend received what he needed to receive. I received what I needed to receive. Now, what is this? Why does this make sense? On an emotional level, this person just had this deep, profound emotional experience that was healing for him. And he was able to move on now. So that's an example of, of somehow part of the mystery of why something like this um, can help and work. Okay, Rabbi Yama, we have a lot of questions we want to ask and a lot of questions, yeah. a lot of clarity we need. So thank you for the opening. We're going to take a poll. We're going to see what we're dealing with, you know, what, what people think. This is like a little bit uh, hard to, you know, process, but we're going to do it together, okay? Together. Here we go. Okay, everybody on the share tonight, we have three poll questions. We want to really get, it to, get, get to the bottom of this. First question, are you familiar with what psychedelics are and what they can be used for? Yes, no, not sure, and I would really like to hear more tonight. So those are three options. So option B, should psychedelics become legal for use in therapy? Yes, no, not sure. Third question, do the rewards of psychedelics outweigh the risks? So again, somebody who's familiar with this and you know is reading up on it, if you, if you are, do you believe the rewards, again, there's risks involved, do they outweigh the risks, the rewards? Yes, no, I don't know. So three questions. Everybody answer. Okay, give you guys five seconds to answer. Yeah, I, mean, I think we'll start off with a live and see where that leads us. And we, we have a lot of questions to really clarify. But um, start with that. Okay, so I'm going to share the poll with everybody. Here we go. Okay, the first question. Are you familiar with what psychedelics are and what they can be used for? Yaman, 30% of the people know tonight what we're talking about. 31% of the people have no idea what we're talking about. And 38% of the people are not sure and would like to hear more. So most people here tonight, 69% of the people here tonight are really not familiar with it at all. That's it's very good to know that. And the second question, should psychedelics become legal for use in therapy? 36% of the people say yes. Only 2% of the people say no. 62% of the people are not sure. I think it's the same 60 some percent. They don't know what it is. And the third question, do the rewards of psychedelics outweigh the risks? And obviously the third answer is gonna be the winner because most people are not familiar with it. So the answer, 23% yes, 3% no, and 74% not sure. So we have a very uh, clear, uh, most people here tonight are not familiar with it. So we wanna clarify what it is. We have one? Okay, so if we're gonna start off with the first live one or two questions, then I have a lot of questions that I wanna to get to to clarify. Okay, you're on. Hi, Dr. Tepper, thank you for taking my question. Um, I've been through different traumatic experiences in life and Baruch Hashem, I've started doing regular psychotherapy, uh, which I feel is going to help me release a lot of my negative emotions, which have been there for a long time. Um, I actually feel it's being matliach and successful. I just wanted to know, you know, in terms of this new psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, would you usually, I'm um, just as a general question, obviously every case is different, but 
someone that has a different type of therapy like mine, would you suggest they look into this also? Does, is there anything they could benefit from psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy or is it more of a last resort? I know my thing might take a long time or like maybe this thing would make it shorter. Is there any benefits that psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy could be there even if someone's doing another modality? Right, excellent question. Um, so it's very hard to, to say if a person is right now in a therapy and they're progressing and they're doing well, um, then I would stick with, with that right now and I would, uh, I would work with what's working, um, even if it's slow, um, because psychedelic psychotherapy can also be um, a slow process. You know, there, there, it's a, a very you know, intense experience that a person has, but it has to then be worked through um, over, over time afterwards as well. So if something is working, then I would stick with, the, there's a lot of other ways that are wonderful um, that uh, get to a lot of the same core points that are, that are covered in psychedelic-assisted psychedelic psychotherapy. So it's not a must that a person has to do this. Um, at this point currently, since it's so new, then I would say it's, it's being used more for people who are really hitting walls and are stuck uh, where other modalities really aren't getting them to where they need to go. That's how it's being utilized uh, these days. Thank you. So can we just like, maybe let's, yeah. let's like a little bit hyper clarify. At what point, again, if somebody's in therapy, they're doing well, they see progress. Somebody's in therapy and they're not doing well. They have a traumatic situation and it was molested. Somebody was in a car accident. What's the, what's the, what's the, the barometer sort of that, you know, that maybe this is something that would make sense. Let's play it out a little bit. Yeah. 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 So you have an individual who, um, let, let's say, has a sexual trauma uh, or a series of them, and it's really um, at a place that's very stuck. They've tried so many different things and really have not gotten anywhere. It's hard for them to access um, the, the the trauma, or even if they have, they haven't they haven't been able to to feel any movement. Um, so then. I would very strongly consider at this point, um, if you can get into a trial of an MDMA, those are very hard to get into. So the only legal one is the psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. What that means is you would come to a, a therapist who's trained in ketamine assisted psychotherapy, and um, you'd be doing a bunch of sessions with that um, therapist for that person to get to know your story and uh, to learn about uh, the trauma. And then you prepare for a ketamine assisted uh, psychotherapy session. And in that session, what happens is uh, with the medicine that's given um, and the therapist that understands how to run that session um, and how to set it up, the set and the setting uh, has to be done uh, where that person is going to have a very deep inward experience. What will end up happening almost always is the brain will go where it needs to go during that session under the um, medicine. And that, that those sessions usually last three, four or five hours. Um, the medicine usually kicks in around 30 or 45 minutes in. And then most often what will happen in that inward experience is that person will then go back um, with the music playing, with usually their eye shades on, and um, they will have pictures and images of things that they went through. Um, and it will be accessed in a way um, that um, is... Um, for the very first time in their life, going to be a brand new experience. They'll go back, for example, we had a session a couple of weeks ago where the, uh, the girl 
uh, who had a story of sexual history has been through so many therapies um and she went back and we, we for, for around 45 minutes straight was in a dark room and the perpetrator was coming and she was talking all this out um and then she would go back to being in a supportive safe place uh, with a friend of hers at the water and then she would go back to the trauma and what was happening in her brain is she was integrating that trauma with resources, with support. And, um, and then she was one with the universe. So she was, her brain was literally going back to the memories, the traumatic memories she needed to go through. She could never get to um, in other therapy sessions, but under the medicine where her brain went without the ego uh, standing in the way was to these traumas. But then you don't just go to the traumas, you go to the traumas from a calmer place and then you start linking the traumas to different resources or to um, these, these big, uh, amazing, um, universal, you know, mystical type of things. And therefore, the trauma itself is put into this larger context rather than staying, you know, in a very stuck, small, narrow place. Um, now, does that mean that she left the therapy session healed? No, that means that then she then can do integration sessions where she can then talk for, for weeks and sometimes months about that session, about these new views, these new feelings that she had from those traumas. And the therapy sessions after that allow her to talk in so much of more of an open way because she accessed that trauma for the very, very first time. So that's, that's a little bit of a picture of where um, psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy can be you know, life-saving. Okay, so there's, I want to get, I'm going to, there's a live question now, we'll do a live, but afterwards, a lot of people are asking, I really want to have like a little short course. Obviously, we know that ketamine is, is, is an approved legal drug to administer today, but there are a lot of drugs that are, are still on trial. There's a lot of famous ones, LSD, there's a lot of other ones. Get a little like crash course of what they do and the difference between them, even though they're not legal, just understand it maybe better. People don't know what you're talking about. Are you talking about Tylenol, extra strength? Like, let's be more specific what yes. we're talking about. And what's the difference between that? And also the typical antidepressants, Zoloft, all the basic stuff that people have been using for the last yeah. 50 years. Yeah. How is it so much different? So can we get to that in a minute? Sure. Sure. Okay. Let's get to that. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're live. Let's let's do the live question. Hi. I'll mute yourself. Sure, I'll mute it before. Mm -hmm. Hi. 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 Um my question is for somebody that has a long history of addiction um one of them being a very long alcohol addiction who's now sober but now suffers from not being able to go on any form of brain altering medication like let's say to help with his depression um and he's the type of person that it doesn't really believe so much in therapy um would this be something that would be like in terms of the hallucinogenic effect of it? Is it something that he could be able to handle and it would be okay for him? Right. Why can't he go on um, brain altering medications? Um, so what we've discovered is, is as a, like I said, a very long history of alcohol and, and narcotics um, misuse. He now, if he ever has like anything like alcohol or anything that's brain altering, it makes his brain very foggy, <laughs> and he can't focus. He's 
nearly got into accidents from it. I think it's either withdrawal mm-hmm. syndrome or I don't know the exact science behind it, but there's definitely some connection to can you like just clarify her question because not everybody heard it, it was yeah. so the question was um someone who has uh it seems like sensitivities um to um brain altering substances because of his history of alcohol should he be doing or can he do psychedelic assisted psychotherapy for depression or other things the answer is that you have to be very very careful and, and the screening to make sure that a person um, is, is a good candidate for it. It really has to be done very meticulously. In a case like this, this is a very brain-altering experience. And um, it would sound like if, if there's a fogginess and if there's issues that he has whenever he has anything that stimulates the brain, um, he may not be someone um, you know, who, who would make sense for to, uh, to do a, a treatment like this. And other therapies, which, which touch on a lot of the, the aspects that are healing in psychedelics, Maybe a better option for him. Uh, yeah, that could also give a broad, well, psychotherapy, mindfulness, meditation, um, EMDR, they're all working on changing patterns in the brain in many different ways. Uh, psychedelics are just one form, a very powerful form, uh, but uh, I think that someone like him, and without knowing other details, uh, it may be more responsible um, to, uh, to go that other route. Dr. Yaman, let, let's get into this now very clearly. Yeah. But let's talk yeah. about all the medications that are out there. Obviously, yeah. the only one that's legal is ketamine, but but we do know yeah. you list the, what they are and what the mm-hmm. differences are. Sure. And then, sure. like what she said, I want to bring up also that I think people also don't understand. Obviously, you understand severe emotional, but what about a person who's addicted to drinking, a person who has other gambling yeah. issues? Like, yeah. Let's, 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 get a, yeah, let's get a little sure. crash course. So, so some of the common like substances. Yeah. So some of the most common um, substances we're dealing with, number one, we'll start with psilocybin, which is also called magic mushrooms or mushrooms. Um, it's really the most classic form of, of a psychedelic. Um, there's a lot of research being done on psilocybin um, because you know, th- that research is, is, is very, very common in terms of, number one, terminally ill, um, Johns Hopkins, uh, NYU, they did fascinating studies um, where you had people who were feeling very, very obviously depressed and um, you know, no point in life um, after being diagnosed with, uh, with different terminal illnesses. And then they did studies where they gave these people these uh, psilocybin um, pills. And um, these people had experiences where they, um, again, became one with the universe. They, the ego there was almost like a death rehearsal experience. And what they found was um, it blew them away. Better than any antidepressant, better than any um, anti-anxiety medicine, these people who were terminally ill had this new profound uh, view of themselves, their lives and the days that they had left. And the depression levels went so significantly down for these people um, that uh, the, the psychiatric uh, departments in these hospitals were blown away. They've never seen results like that. And um, therefore, that's something that's being heavily researched um, right now. Um, it's legal in Amsterdam, I believe, not in the United States, unless you're in a, an actual trial. But that's something that's um, moving forward uh, in terms of uh, legality and the research. Uh, the other uh, common uh, 
used uh, psychedelics is MDMA, uh, ecstasy, and uh, that is being used uh, for trauma work. And that's the most heavily researched and the furthest along, as far as I know, in terms of legality. They think they're around two years away. MAPS is an organization. They think they're around two years away. Now, um, from getting it cleared to be used for trauma. The way MDMA works is it's a heart opening medicine, which means it's not a typical psychedelic. What happens with MDMA is, is that the person will go back and revisit um, different traumatic experiences, but from a very, very emotionally compassionate, self-compassionate way. Um, and they're able to sort of float above that experience, go back to it, envision it, but from a very, very soft and a very, very healing type of way for the very first time. And therefore, they're able to then leave that experience after they have two or three different sessions with MDMA, um, feeling about themselves um, much more resourced, going back to that, but not from a dissociated place, but from a, a, again, compassionate healing type of place. That's another substance that's being used. Um, ketamine. Ketamine can really work um, similar to MDMA, similar to psilocybin, depending on the levels that it's being given. So it can be heart opening in the smaller doses, a little bit more um, psychedelic in its, in its larger doses. Um, there are other substances that are um, also not being researched as much, but also used. LSD um, in the 50s and 60s was very heavily researched. Um, I think that that is much behind in terms of right now uh, being you know made legal and researched um, the that was used heavily for um, uh, AA for for alcohol addiction and they found uh, very very astonishing results um, but that is something that is the strongest uh, in terms of just the length of time it'll be 10 or 12 hours versus you know 45 to 50 minutes um, or psilocybin will be two hours MDMA will be around an hour and a half or two hours three hours, LSD is dealing with a much longer uh, time period where the person is under this experience. Um, and then there is ayahuasca, which is um, DMT uh, that's being used um, as well. Um, that experience is also uh, one that's different, uh, often that has a, a body part to it where there's um, part of that experience is taking that medicine in and then very often the person has to vomit the tea up um, and it's a longer experience um, the, the, the the trip that one goes on is, is somewhat different in these different substances people react differently to different ones um, so it's 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 hard to, to to say how one person is going to react to this one and, and another person is going to react to something else but they're sort of grouped slightly differently in terms of their effects and um, MDMA is very very connected to trauma work uh, ketamine is um, also connected to trauma, to depression, to anxiety. Um, psilocybin uh, is um, being used for these things as well, along with you know, the terminally ill. Um, that's something that is giving them that experience that's uh, helpful for that, um, as well as for addictions, as well as for eating disorders. They're trying to use it as um, to help them. Those are the common uh, psychedelics that are out there. There are many others, but uh, those are the ones that are um, that are really being explored uh, the the most. I'll leave you with 
just two resources. If those that are interested, you can you can view a wonderful documentary on MDMA called A Trip of Compassion. I think they have it on a Vimeo, uh, which gives you a real um, in the room experience uh, where where um, they brought the cameras into sessions and you get to really see what I'm talking about. It's very theoretical now, but where the person's mind can somehow go um, in that experience with the ego being shut down and um, how they revisit traumas, but from that compassionate, heart-opened, warmer place and how healing takes place. Um, and then uh, Michael Pollan wrote a book, How to Change Your Mind, where he goes through the research and um, a lot of the, the, the current studies. Those are two uh, popular um, resources to get more educated on this and the different substances that are out there. Um, and that was, there was a second half to the question. Sure, yeah. I, I don't know if I covered. Um, so that's how they, those substances will be used um, currently. Okay, Rabiel, thank you for that uh, little breakdown. Um, let's take another live question. Okay, you're on now. Okay, I wanted to know, um, like this modality, I'm assuming you you you're actively using it. Um, do the do the clients usually? Is this usually coming after other modalities, um, having been yeah. tried? And I'm curious also if that's like a common thing. What are the modalities that usually come before this? Let's say you're dealing with trauma. What are the things that you would yeah. try first? Yeah, people who who are coming to ketamine are not new to therapy uh, or ketamine assisted psychotherapy. Um, people have very often been in therapy for years, although it's not a must. Uh, but what is a must is, is that there's a deep connection with the therapist that they're doing this um, modality with, this psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, that there's a, a safety that the person knows their story, is able to create an atmosphere where that session is going to be an inward experience where they're going to go back um, versus just being a drug experience. So the way that's done is, is that this first few meetings, you're going over the life story, you're going over the traumas. When the person shows up to that session, there's a set that's done and a setting that's done. The atmosphere is one where there's music playing um, that's um, done without words that gets the person to go inward. There are certain readings that uh, are meaningful that uh, get the person to start uh, um, you know, going going to a more emotional place. Uh, the person sets intentions for that session. And then when that's done in that type of context, um, then the person is able to have this deep, profound experience relating to their emotional world. And the brain goes where it needs to during that session, where it's ready to go accessing what it needs to. Um, but there's no must. You have to go to this therapy or that therapy before. It just has to be done in the context then there's integration sessions that have to happen with that therapist after as well um, that take the content of what just happened during that session. Often it's remembered right after, um, but sometimes it takes two, three, four days for the person to remember all the different things that, oh my gosh, that also happened, that also happened. Um, people react differently under a, a psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. Some people are quiet. They just lie there on the couch with their eyes covered and listening to the music for the 45 minutes, hour, hour and a half. And then they come out and as they come out, they start to say, oh, this is what I saw. Other people while they're lying there talk and say what they're seeing. So both of them can be just as helpful and therapeutic. Um, so it's a different experience for different people. Can we, can we discuss a little bit of the negative side effects? 
Yeah, sure, sure. So um, just as a drug itself, um, ketamine itself um, is a very, very safe drug. It's been around since the 60s. Um, it's used uh, right now for anesthesia uh, for children um, still till today. Usually the, the amounts that are given are 800 to 1,000 milligrams that really uh, gets the person to uh, be out totally and, um, and is able to then, you know, they can perform a surgery on the, on the child. Um, now, under ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, we're giving them usually 200, 300 milligrams, much, much less. We're trying to find that sweet spot. So we're taking a very safe medicine and, we, and we're giving, you know, like a 20% and the reason why we're doing that is because we want we don't want the person to be out. That's not beneficial. We want there to be this sweet spot where the person has the ego that's not they are present enough to hear, to remember, to be um, cognizant of, of and, and, and aware and, uh, and present enough to, in terms of the visions that they have and the memories that they go back to. Um, so in terms of the medicine, it's safe, but the real thing to be very, very aware of is, is that these are very, very profound, deep, um, and sometimes life-changing experience. And a person has to be ready and, and willing to um, want to do that. And what I mean by life-changing is for a person to, to you know, have this death rehearsal experience or to be one with the universe and, even though you know you're coming back into the room, it can be a frightening experience, it, and it can take, uh, you know, it, it's very um, overwhelming for people, uh, and therefore it has to be prepared well. Even if it's prepared well, it's something that the person then has to integrate into their lives. Uh, now, even though it's helpful for trauma, like we were discussing before, um, but th th these are things that that uh, often frighten and overwhelm people. Um, and there's a saying, there's no such thing as a, you know, as, as a bad trip because that's part of, that's what the person has to work through that, for, you know, what happened in that experience. But still, that's something that, uh, that isn't a piece of cake. It isn't, uh, it isn't emotionally necessarily an easy thing. But there's a reason why this person was not able to go there for many years. Right. Now you're saying with this modality, you can take them there in a day or two. And that itself can be very um, yeah. scary to people or, or very you know, frightening, highly provoking. Yeah, you're going to cause new trauma. So, so right, that that's you have to be so so cautious and so careful, and the supports have to be there, um, really in place. Um, some people will really need a lot of hand holding right after um, those days because because of what they experience. Now, ketamine, the reason why it's effective is because it allows people to go back, but it, it calms the system enough in almost all cases that, that the person goes back, but the person is doing so from, a, from a, um, a safer, softer, relaxed place. And that lasts usually a week or, or even two. So therefore, it, it gives enough space and enough support that the medicine itself allows for the person to go back in a calm type of way um, but but it's different for people and there's there's still there's still something that uh, that's always whenever you go do any trauma work the resourcing has to be has to be there here uh, even more so uh, so again there's been thousands of people right now that have done let's say the mdma studies um you know all over 
um, a country. Uh, what they're showing is tremendous uh, in terms of uh, the, the, the not re-traumatizing people, but in terms of just the the, um, the healing that's been for their PTSD symptoms. So all in all, there's the, the strong support that that this is not doing you know damage more damage than than, than healing, not at all. Uh, but still, there's it's not a magic pill. It it you're going back to painful stuff, and even if you can do it, you still have to. Yeah, be ready then to, to it's not a piece of cake it's not a piece of cake i i trained um w- when i did my training with um i was together in the cohort with bessel van der Kolk, who's a big big trauma researcher and um he was saying over uh that uh, when he did his mdma um he said that uh him and his colleague said you know just the the hundreds of people that he had treated and for for uh was sexual abuse he said all their cases came flooding back to him in his session you know so he was dealing with hundreds of traumas that, that you know just the faces and their stories now he was going back to it with an open heart but it doesn't matter you you you, you, you this is this is still it's heavy 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 material and um and it has to be done that's why so responsibly and carefully and um and with a tremendous amount of support um and care and guidance, and uh, but but that uh, that sometimes the 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 right and uh, and sometimes the the most effective way to move forward um, for many people. So it, it has to be done with care. And what does the therapist do actually while the person is an hour, the hour, yeah. an hour and a half? You know yeah. some examples of the therapist does. Sure, sure, sure. So it really depends because you have individuals that are silent and have an inward journey and the therapist is just there sometimes checking in uh, every 10 or 15 minutes how you doing the person is present enough to be able to say that's good i'm fine um uh, feeling like there's someone there so that they can go into that internal space because they're they're safe enough Um, other people are emotive are talking are verbal it's not just an internal experience and then the therapist is there listening writing and then sometimes giving the support um, because sometimes that person will start suddenly get scared and overwhelmed. And then that therapist can say, um, it's okay. You can approach it. It's okay. And, um, and uh, then with that encouragement, the person then goes ahead to that scene or that memory, and then it opens it up for them. And then they're able to um, go to that place that they were scared of um, with the therapist's encar- encouragement. And, um, and then they're able to access that memory and, and, and work it through and heal it. So sometimes they need to be held and supported. Um, sometimes they do that trip on their own and the therapist is just there to again, create that safe place. Um, so it, it really varies depending on, on the, um, the substance. It depends on the individual. There are certain substances that are done more in group. Ayahuasca is something um, that, uh, again, I'm not as familiar with that just for the legality reasons um, that's done very often in a group with one or two guides um, so that's done more collectively I'm talking about the ketamine assisted psychotherapy sessions they're done again almost always one-on-one I want to ask one of the questions we have a live person one second before I want to ask one question I mean I was always is there that risk of like since a mind altered education like you know guys you ever see oh this guy like his brain twisted he took mushrooms you know obviously he wasn't always a doctor <laughs> When you take some of these medications, aren't there the risk, like sort of like you cross over into almost like the zombie zone, you don't come back? Is right. there a risk right. to that? Yeah, so there, there was, 
there was that um, there was a movement, you know, when they when they went anti drugs in the late sixties. Um, so there was a lot of like commercials, you know, fry your brain and this. Kind of, but but practically speaking, um, these um, these substances um, end up having an effect usually for um, for especially when there's a guided person there. But the substances stay in the brain usually, and it depends on the one one hour, two hours, three hours, and then and then they're out. Um, now, when they have to be done with care and they have to be done in the right dosage, um, and then that's the experience. And the person is, is, comes back very much and is there in the room. Um, there aren't, uh, to, to my, you know, my knowledge, factual stories where the person, these are safe substances, again, when given correctly, um, that, uh, that don't, uh, you know, it's like, it's like saying, you know, I don't, I don't want to use this as an analogy. You know, if a person drinks alcohol and then, you know, it's a, a stimulant, and then right, the person is high. Is there a story that the person's not coming back from that? No, the alcohol stays in the system, and then the person's brain, you know, comes back. So these are are, um, and it's not an exact analogy, but but a similar thing. Now, can there be scary trips? And the person's definitely, if the person's alone and the person's not guided, um, that makes it, you know, all the more. And so the person can come back. Yeah, there are stories that, that guys that they did this and they jumped out the window. They think they can fly. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but that's but 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 we're doing it in an office guided. Um, we we even do it with two therapists there. Um, you know, two therapists are there for the for the one individual. So yeah, you know, yeah, care is taken. Um, obviously, the person, you know, within forty five minutes, the person's present, and the person uh, that's not happened uh, as far as I know with any substances. If the person is is tripping on their own. Like you said, that, that's not what we're doing. Psychotherapy—it's psychotherapy. a whole different, uh, it's a whole different uh, experience. Okay. Let's go. Let's go to the next live question. You're on, Azar. Oh, hi, <laughs> hi. It sounds like the bottom line is a certain neuroplasticity. I guess these you talk about mind altering. Do these like change the brain in some way permanently? Yeah. I was thinking of like eight. Like, last week we had somebody talk about ADHD, and people yeah. take medication for that. It could often alter the brain, I guess the wiring of the brain or something yeah. like that, does it, with this, yeah. do it permanent yeah. so, effect like that? Or is that oh, so yeah. So what they say is, you know, the word they use for psychedelic research is like there's an entropy where they, they do fMRIs on a brain that doesn't have, let's say, uh, any substances. And then they'll use um, the fMRI on, on a brain that has, let's say, psilocybin. And what they see is the interconnectedness, the communication across the entire mm -hmm. brain is firing so much more when it's on, under psilocybin than when it's not. Now, does that last forever for a person? The answer is no. But what, what happens is when under that influence, the person then is making these connections to certain traumas or certain memories that were locked, then forever there's now a new understanding. There's a new link to that, um, to that uh, memory that was sort of stored uh, as a trauma memory. And now it's felt differently. Um, so not that the, the entropy lasts forever, uh, but it's that there's an integration and an understanding uh, that, and, an, and a different experience um, mm -hmm. to that memory than there was prior. Thank you. How about, how about um, this new concept we've had on the show many times, childhood emotional neglect? Mm -hmm which, you know, people are not aware, not always aware of the trauma. And they believe that's, you know, this is life, but it really, deep down, the way they grew up, certain things, 
would this mm -hmm. have an effect? Okay, basically, sure. what you ask me is like something like a trauma that's not like a like something big, like something that it can't like put their finger on, but they feel not like real true. Yeah, it's not not a real a, a big event. It's just the lack of yeah. uh, needing what you need to grow up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's the, the, yeah. Father's, the father's and mother's fault, you know. Nobody's right, fault. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and what we see is it's not just for specific traumas. And what we're finding is, is that this is for anxiety, depression as well, that the reason these psychedelics really change people, uh, again, not a miracle and not a magic bullet, but they can really have a profound effect is because um, similar to, and even with what you're talking about, the complex uh, trauma, complex PTSD, not a specific event, but more of a, you know, an upbringing of neglect or is that um, when there's when there's ego disillusionment, um, when there's just a, a a real potential for the brain to re just reconnect itself in different type of way, um, where it doesn't have that old pattern, where 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 there's an ability to um, just look at things, feel about things um, uh, a new way. Uh, and, um, and, and it's open to that. It's open to that um, during that session. And then they come out with like, ah, they had a, an experience where they didn't have that pattern. And then from there, they're able to sometimes just revisit or, 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 or create new connections in their brain from that experience that, that isn't just a continuation of, of how they thought about and saw the world. You know, one of the, like one of the one of the analogies I, I remember reading um, was the people that went to to the moon, the astronauts that were there, they they said they stood on the moon and they saw the Earth just from a, a, like this whole new vantage point, right? You can, if you can imagine, like we're, we're we're living on Earth, but if you see the Earth from there, and they said that that just perspective changed how they felt about themselves, about life, right? Because they were seeing earth. If you think about it for a second, it's profound. You, you, you're looking at life, but from this new vantage point. And, and that's sort of, you get this experience of seeing yourself without that, that just predictable pattern of the default of how you always experience you, yourself, your thinking, your world. And that, that can just have a profound effect on people that, um, th that there's this just experience that then gives them just gives them a perspective that, that they're able to, to somehow break out of old patterns and feel about themselves, feel about their emotions, feel about the world, feel about the, the, you know, the people that they love in a different type of a way. There's a oneness to the world that the ego is not there um, that, that then... Gives gives people sometimes this this one eighty that they that they just um, again, see things in a different um, and feel about themselves in a different type of a way. Um, does, again, does this does this is this a magic bullet? Is it as simple as I'm um, as I'm saying uh, that uh, people just leave this? I'm sorry, people just leave this, and uh, my camera just knocked off. I'm sorry. Second. Um, and, and the answer is no. The answer is it's not. It's not as simple as that. But but because even those views, even those feelings, end up fading away. Uh, if you think about it, some of the connections of the trauma memories um, are able to last. The research shows six months, twelve months later. But but 
to stay in that pattern needs upkeep. So some people will do ketamine sessions, they'll do uh, six or eight of them in a, in a few months, and then once a month they'll follow up just to, um, to be able to maintain some of this. Uh, the MDMA work is being done in three or four sessions. There they're seeing lasting results, at least for specific traumas that the person went through six and 12 months later without any um, continual uh, MDMA sessions. So depends on the on the person. It depends on the on the on the, on the drug. But um, but just what they're seeing is, is this profound potential in this area in terms of of treatment. It's still very very early in the field. Uh, the research is just coming out. Um, but the research that's coming out, uh, legitimate research uh, from the top researchers in in the country, is that there's really really profound uh, results and amazing potential for this. Let's go to the next live question. Okay, you're on. Hi. Hi. Okay, so my question is um, as follows. I'm, I'm very aware of, uh, I've read a lot and um, wrote a lot on psychedelics, uh, but my question is from a uh, metaphysical perspective. Um, obviously, specifically ayahuasca, but many of them are used kind of in Navo de sort of um, process. And also, even if we would uh, assume that that was unnecessary for the effect. The question is, is, um, is this, do we have any way of knowing if this is real? I mean, obviously that's the million dollar question, but if metaphysically, if someone is going somewhere or if it's just in their mind, if it is, um, is there a concern that this is, you know, Nicholas Lepardes or Lomas Malyoinem or anything like that? And do we need to ask that question before we do it? Because um, that's the thing, yeah. you know, having done a lot of research on this, that's the thing I'm concerned about. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I want to. I just want to add one more question on top of this because people have asked the question. What about people who want to come closer to Hashem? They want to come and they use this. And I know there's somebody wrote a, 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 a letter to the Rebbe. I forwarded it to you. Um, you know that they were taking LSD in the 1950s. They felt that they connected the Abish to much closer when they're on LSD. There's a certain spirituality that it brings you because it takes it takes away your yesha, so you lose. So you can connect to God on a much higher level. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so to answer that, I think you're alluding to a letter of the Lubavitch Rebbe, and I think that Rav Soloveitchuk was also asked, the Rav, you know, from, from why he was also asked, and uh, he answered the same, same thing without, I think, knowing that Lubavitch Rebbe. That, that, yeah, I think that it's clear the way of Yiddishkeit, the way of, of Judaism, is that it's through the hard daily um, you know, work of learning, of davening, of working on our midas, of of, 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 of a lifetime of Havadis Hashem that, that brings us close to, to Hashem. And of course, we have moments through davening, hopefully, and through singing or through the ways that, that we've had. But to, to use these substances as our spiritual experiences has generally not been the, the, the way of our, of our Messiah, of our tradition. And, and that's not been, uh, and, and if you look at uh, what these Gedalim have answered, uh, they've answered along those same lines. That, uh, that's not. Um, that's not what we, what, that's not the legitimate spiritual experience that we're um, that we're looking for. We're, we're looking for ones that come through again years and years of a lifetime of effort. Um, in terms of where the person goes, we're 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 trying to use this in a very you know, medical and psychological way to heal people from depression and trauma and. Um, and that's that's the way that, that it's being used. So to say, where does the person go, and is it real? Um, 
I, I can't, I can't, the person, of course, is going in their own mind. This is, you know, where does a person go in their dream? Uh, there's, there's a deep, you know, subconscious or um, place that a person is able to go in their imagination. And that's what's happening with these substances. But a person is going um, in deep into their own minds when the, when the, when the ego is not there. And um, there's visions and there's experiences and there's feelings that are, are happening. I can't, uh, I, I can't explain it. I don't know if anyone, you know, there's a, a different explanations as to how this can happen and why this happens, but it's where the mind is able to go when it's um, when certain parts are stimulated more and certain parts are, are, are shut down more. And, and that, if we do it in, a, in, in the right set and setting, it's, um, it's something that's able to heal people uh, who are again, stuck uh, for many, many years. So, so is it something the, the Rabbanim that, that I've spoken to uh, in that context of healing people in terms of um, their, their traumas have, 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 have been supportive of it in that kind of context, but I've not seen the support in terms of the, the spiritual um, you know, experience. There, I have not seen that. Hi, you're on? Yes. Hello? Yes, hi. Hi. So I just had a question for the doctor here. I wanted to know, have you ever experienced the psychedelic um, experience yourself? Mm. That's a great question. So the answer is to, to, um, yeah, to, to get trained and to be able to administer it. One of the things you have to do is you have to have, um, you have to go through in the training, the experience um, yourself. Yes. Okay. Yeah, but I wanted to ask you a question. Hello? Yes. Okay. So the question is, I mean, it sounds to me like, why shouldn't everybody do it? I understand you don't have to be severely emotionally. I get that. But what's the worst case scenario? You try it. You see your new experience. You get to see how your brain functions without that part that holds you back. I'm sure everybody can gain from doing it. Like, what's the, why shouldn't everybody do it? Yeah. So, so to answer the question, I, 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 I don't, it's like, you know, you can ask also, you know, why shouldn't, should, should everyone go to therapy? Should everyone um, do psychedelics? I, I, I think that the role of certain things, you know, why shouldn't everyone go on an anti-anxiety medication? Why shouldn't everyone go on antidepressants? You know, if, if, if it doesn't hurt. Well, it doesn't... <laughs> no, and the, the answer is, is that, I think things have to always be used with and needed. Um, and, and there's also, you know, there's, if there's no medical psychological need for it, um, I, I, then I don't think it's, it's what I would advise anyone to, um, to, to pursue and to do. I, I personally, people ask me all the time. Um, I, I don't, I don't think it's recreational people, do feel differently than I do, and and but my position on it is is that um, it has its place in a healing capacity, um, and uh, aside for that, I I, I I think is is overusing its role. I think that there are other ways to relax, there are other ways to enjoy, there are other ways to uh, have recreation, to use to, to start getting into the into the brain and to alter it and to have these you know, deep. Uh, experiences as a casual thing, I, I don't think is um, is its purpose, is its place, um, and is and it's a, it per personally, it's not the 
right um, responsible way. I, I, I think a person's opening themselves up to again deep experiences that are um, that are some of them are unsettling. Some of them, you know, can be overwhelming. Why, why, why should a person you know, do that if it's not in the context of a very, very um, specific, significant reason of healing? So that's that's my take on it. Okay, let's go to the next live question. Say you're up. Hi, um, someone who is in uh, an essay, Sexolic Anonymous, and he he's walking the steps, and um, he is. The question is if it's help. It could be helpful for, for him to help him with the addiction, and if yes, is it rather to um, um, when he's working the program or after he finish uh, after a year or after a while? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So for addiction, again, it's a very similar um, thing. You know, early on uh, in the six fifties and sixties, this the psychedelics were being used for addiction. Uh, the, the the big uh, you know, Bill W, who who was uh, you know, the founder of AA, um, was had his spiritual experience in the hospital where he he then started the whole uh, twelve step movement. Um, it was on um, uh, I think they call it belladonin. I don't even know how to, it was. It was there was a psychedelic experience that he had that he was given in the hospital, and he wanted LSD to be part of the twelve step program. There were letters between him and um, and Carl Jung early on if they should include LSD as part of the program or not. So there's, there's a, a, a old history of psychedelics with recovery. Um, so to answer your question, uh, there is a big place for it. Um, they're using some of the researches about psilocybin, and, and, but that's not legal yet. Ketamine itself is tricky because um, it's, although ketamine doesn't have physical uh, addictive qualities to it, um, like other substances like cocaine and heroin, but if people have an addictive personality, especially if they've had issues with substances, uh, it, you have to be very, very careful if you're going to give them uh, ketamine. Um, other other uh, psychedelics are less are less problematic in terms of that, but the, again, the legalities, they're not there yet. So to answer your question, the person doesn't have to wait if they're doing ketamine specifically a year, program not. Something that if they don't have um, an addiction to substances, that's something that um, that they can be uh, that they can they can gain from if if they want to go back and do this uh, do this work in terms of and trauma work and uh, have that a part of, of their program. But if things are going well and they're doing well, I, I, then then, then I, I wouldn't uh, say that uh, that this is that this is a must or that I would even recommend it. I'm talking about if people are really hitting walls in terms of their their trauma work. That's when I would say um, to strongly consider um, you know, to, to to use something like this. Hey, Murray, the Grabiyama, let's go to the next live question. You're on. Hey, good evening. Um, so my question is, so I know these psychedelics are all beautiful and it takes you to different realms and the warmest and all. Okay, there you go. Did you hear the start of the question? Yes, yeah. they take you to these realms, right? Yeah, so, but at the end of the day, when you experience that, you get opened up to a lot deeper mind thinking and knowing, and there's risk to that as well, based on what you decide if a patient or a person is ready to be entered into those psychedelics or not. Yeah. 
well, I don't decide anything. If a person is very interested and, and reaches out and wants to do this type of work, then I explain to them what the work is and exactly what you're talking about, what the benefits are, what some of the challenges of the work are going to be. And it's people who decide if they want to do this or not. Uh, I don't decide for anyone. Um, and if people want to do it, you're very right. These are very profound experiences. Um, they're, they're, they're cosmic, they're mystical, and um, the person has to be very aware that that's what they're going to be experiencing very likely, not everyone, but um, and they choose to do that. So people are not aware, they want to hear from the professional yeah. before they do anything, so how do you explain it to them? Oh, so, so I sit down and I really explain to them all the different parts of what the, we go through every step, what very likely is going to be the um, experience. Um, there's um, very often uh, in, a, in, uh, in a ketamine experience, a person becomes one with nature. Um, what, does that mean? what that means is the person then feels like they are a tree. So then they don't exist and they are the wood or they are a blade of grass or they are the blood rushing through veins or they are shapes they turn into a, a square or a triangle or they become um, uh, a star they're one with the universe or they're flying through the depths of the ground the experiences or they see music or they start to you know um, the, 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 there's a crossing over of senses, so that's part of the uh, of the this awe mystical experience. And then, what happens is why it's very effective for, let's say, for example, for addiction. One of the explanations is in AA or an SA or in any other addiction programs, what, they say it's a spiritual disease, and you have to connect to a higher power, right? So what happened to Bill W? or what happens to people on LSD, or what happens in these psychedelic experiences is there's this profound, higher power experience. And then it takes the person out of the smallness of their, of their relationship with their bottle and, uh, you know, and, or their substance, and there's something that's bigger. That's what a, a big part of AA is about that. And that's why these psychedelic experiences often go hand in hand or can support or can sometimes be the breakthrough because the person then says, Oh, wow, there's something bigger than my little small world that I've con, you know, contracted myself into with there's only this one thing. I live for this battle. Wow, I saw this planet. I, I was one with infinity. I didn't exist. So therefore, I can, I, I, there's, there's a bigger, broader purpose to me, to my life. And, uh, and, and let, me, let, me, let me continue living that. And, and that it breaks through that pattern. That, that's why it would be something that, uh, that goes hand in hand with recovery, with AA, and why it did in, in the early years. And they feel, they feel that way even, though, even after they come out. So what happens is, is that, that it's, a, it's a profound thing that stays with people. Now, it doesn't mean that, that it doesn't start to ultimately fade and slip away, but the pattern is, is then broken. So the, the, the behavioral pattern then it has, has an opportunity to sort of just restart itself. And even though the, the, the experience doesn't stay, that fades then after a few, uh, a few days, a few weeks, but the, the, the shift of like, there's something more to live for here. 
um, begins them to, to you know, in a new trajectory. Does that continue? Um, so it, it, it very often does. How long, how long does that last? So again, like I told you, the, the studies on PTSD with MDMA is showing six and 12 months later, the, the, tr the trauma is still, um, the, the, the recovery is still there. They're, they're seeing long lasting effects. Um, in terms of, they don't have a lot of studies with addiction because they, they did some meta studies from the 50s and 60s. They tried to, and they saw that there was a lot of um, uh, effectiveness, but it started, they have to do research on it and um, they, they don't have it on addiction. They have it on trauma, they have it on depression, they have it on anxiety, they have it on terminal illness. That's where the, um, the results are lasting and significant. That's what they're seeing. And what, what do they say? Have to redo it every year? Um, no, that for example, MDMA with trauma, they're not redoing it. They're giving three sessions and, and you know, sessions before three sessions, then they're continuing some psychotherapy, but they're comparing it to control groups without giving it again. And then six and 12 months later, since they had these experiences during these sessions, those experiences gave a new connection to those traumatic memories and that lasted without follow-up sessions. Um, if you read um, the, the research is out there um, uh, in terms of the, the, the best site to go on is MAPS, M-A-P-S, um, who, who they collect all the research for, for all the psychedelic um, substances. Rick Doblin um, is the uh, founder of MAPS, and you can go on their website and uh, see all the current research. Uh, they have them all listed for every single substance and, uh, and for every single disorder. We have a lot of questions next, but before we do it, a few people are asking, most insurance do not cover any of this type of treatment. Is that correct? Uh, correct. Uh, there are very few places you can find um, uh, that, that really do ketamine-assisted psychotherapy well. Um, and uh, there's, a, there's a, a place called Field Trips. Um, that's a clinic. They have a few branches. They have one in New York City. They have one in, I think, a few other cities in the country. Uh, they do ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. Um, uh, how they do it, how thorough they do it, um, you, know, you have to look into. Uh, there are a few other centers that try to do it. You have to look up. And then there are individual therapists that are trained, that are CAP trained, ketamine-assisted psychotherapy trained. And um, you can you can you know follow up and and uh, and go to you know, finding out wh where they are, who they are, and research and um, and uh, get help that way. Um, can we get like a concept of price where these things range from? Like, what are we talking about? So these are usually expensive. They're expensive because we're dealing with a bunch of sessions before we're dealing with a four to it's usually a six-hour therapy session. Often there are two therapists there for the six hours, so. So you're dealing with uh, you know, expensive interventions at this point um, because there are just so few providers um, and because it's just so time intensive. Uh, so until it becomes more popular and out there, um, it's expensive. In the thousands? Yes. Okay. Now let's go to the next live question, okay? You're on. Hi, you're on. Question: uh, Would learning Hasidus be on par with the psychedelic usage, or Chovos Lubavos with Emona Bitachon? And on the flip side, um, electroconvulsive therapy that preceded all those uh, psychedelic drugs. 
that you're talking about in the 50s and the, like that, uh, would they be on par? Uh, and instead of doing all this psychedelic um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. drugs. Yeah, yeah. So to answer your question, anything that, um, that a person learns, or therapy, if you think about it, touches on a lot of these things, we're trying to get a person to, uh, all of Yiddishkeit is to get a person to uh, experience that there's, there's uh, you know, uh, uh, a big God that's out there and that uh, we're, we're, our neshamas are big and infinite and connected to one another. Of course, learning tries to do that. His bainanus, meditation. There are many ways that we try to, through davening, that we try to get in touch with a bigger, uh, a bigger part of ourselves and a bigger part of the world. Of course, that's what we have to spend a lifetime trying to access that. A hundred percent. Is that going to heal? Uh, people, everyone. The answer is no. Unfortunately, people people who are wounded need need more help than that. And that's that's the role of these psychedelic medications that are able to to help people through a medicine and through uh, through the therapy together uh, be able to experience these things that can also through through a lifetime of work be experienced uh, through Yiddishkeit. Um, and then ECT is is very different. ECT. Um, I, I, I'm uh, it, it's a whole other thing in terms of, um, of of how it worked and what it was trying to stimulate uh, in the brain. It's not that's not the, the psychedelic experience, and that's not the therapy is not done as, as a result. That's trying to just uh, stimulate different uh, areas of the brain to um, to help with depression, and um, that works on a very different system. Let's get to the next question. Okay, so much to cover over here tonight. Okay, you're on. So is the one thing I wonder, is ketamine really that good or is it just that this is the legal one now? Because looking at it compared to other psychedelics, it appears it doesn't appear, the effect doesn't appear to last as long. Um, it appears to be more of a disassociative as opposed to psilocybin LSD, which are more internal. The data seems to be much less in terms of its effectiveness. It appears to have at least some potential for abuse. Uh, it, it appears to be very different than the other ones. And, you know, it seems to last a couple of weeks and maybe for people with treatment resistant depression, you know, it can bounce them out of it and maybe give them a chance to work on something more long-term, but it doesn't appear to have the same effect as, you know, let's say a 46 hour psilocybin session or something like that. And, you know, someone asked before about addiction. I mean, for someone who has heroin addiction or something really serious, Ibogaine is definitely something worth looking at. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. It's, uh, what I would say is that ketamine, it, it, I, I would correct you. I think that it really, it's a versatile medicine depending on the dosage. So it can act as a very uh, a mimicking a psychedelic if it's given in the higher doses. If it's given slightly lower doses, it's, it's similar to the heart opening of an MDMA. Uh, it, it's, it, it is used. Will it be um, legal? Uh, not, not, will it be as popular after psilocybin? Um, and let's say other, other substances are ultimately uh, legalized. I, I think it'll still have its place, um, but I think that it's, it's, some, it's the, and not only is it the best we have, I think it, it, it does, um, it does a, a, I think a wonderful job in terms of the, uh, the, the, the trip. And, and, it, and I think that it also, um, it offers something different. It offers, it, it offers a certain calming experience um, a mystical experience uh, th that's different than the other ones. I, I, I think that um, 
they all have their place. And I think people- I don't are know. I mean, the mystical trip that, you know, that they've done for terminal cancer patients. I mean, that's all been done with psilocybin. I've never seen them even try anything like ketamine for something like that. And my assumption would right. be that it's nowhere near as powerful. Right, right. I think that, that you're right. For terminally ill, uh, they're using psilocybin. But I think that if you look, for example, at the research, um, you'll see that there's strong results uh, with ketamine for PTSD, for um, for depression and for anxiety as well. Um, but we'll we'll see. You know, it, it, for example, psilocybin um, has its place with terminal illness, uh, but they're using MDMA very strongly for for different traumas. I think that they'll for trauma they'll, MDMA appears to be really 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 good right. because it can put people right. in a space where they can right. relax and relive the trauma, thereby process right. it. You know, right. but that's right. something else. The other question yeah. I have is, where does the idea of six sessions of ketamine come from? I mean, if you look at psilocybin, it's generally one session. MDMA is two sessions, three sessions. Mm -hmm. Where does the concept and what's behind the number six specifically? Oh, I, I don't know anything about the number six. I've never heard the number six specifically. But with, with ketamine, it's a much shorter experience. That's why ketamine is, um, is, is, is more efficient in the sense that it's you know, 45 minutes, an hour session, an hour and 15 um, they're trying to do the same thing. They're trying to, um, as far as I know, um, they're trying to create a, a version of psilocybin that has a shorter uh, a, a, a effect that uh, makes it just more, more practical. But ketamine has that in the sense that it's a shorter acting um, experience and therefore it makes it just more efficient and doable. And therefore you may need more uh, sessions in terms of, different experiences that are had under it versus psilocybin, which is a longer experience. Hey. So. Wow, that was fun. Okay, we have a few more live and there's a few other things I wanna to get to. Uh, before we go do to the next, was the live on, on already? Okay, let's go to the live. The live is on, you're on. Hi, okay. So I wanted to know um, if there's a minor who's already medicated for ADHD, anxiety, depression, and has been through multiple therapists for trauma um, such as abandonment and has had no progress with multiple therapists and they have built up a steel wall to not disclose and keep everything bottled up and they are extremely guarded. Would this be an option for them? And if so, would this be recommended by a therapist, a psychiatrist, um, by the parents feel, number one. And number two, it sounds similar to um, it tapping into a specific part of the brain. And how does this compare to the EMDR approach mm -hmm. of therapy? Again, it's yeah. with a minor. Yeah. So with the minor, I would just say for that, it's not something I would I would ever try or recommend because you're dealing with just these profound experiences. I don't I don't think that's fair to um, to have a minor then you know, incorporate this right after. Um, so that's not something I would I would recommend for anyone who is uh, who is at that age. I don't know, minor, whatever it is, 10, 12. Um, second part of your question: How does this compare with EMDR? Uh, EMDR is helping. Um, integrate traumatic memories 
um, with um, within the brain, whether it's right brain, left brain, whether it's grounding that's being done while they're doing it. But that integration, uh, it, it, there, there are similarities between that and perhaps some of the integration that's being done with, within the psychedelic experience. Um, you know, with the entropy that's being done in terms of the brain communicating uh, different, you know, larger context to the traumatic, um, in that, to the traumatic event. And that, in that way, I think that there's, a, there's a, some overlap to that. Yeah. Okay, we almost got to the next live one. You're on. Hi. Um, regarding stories and memories that come up while in the psychedelic experience, um, how much can they be relied upon? Are they always definitely true if they came up? Um, you know, like what, 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 yeah. what? Sure. Yeah. So the answer is no, they're not definitely. There's so much, it's, it's a dreamlike experience. So there are symbols and there are pictures and there are um, still shots and there are, uh, you're going into, into, the, into the world of imagination. So that's not something that's factual. Um, it's something that's effective in terms of the person being able to integrate painful memories. So, you know, they remember that they were in this uh, horrible accident and the accident comes back to them, but it comes back from a distance and it comes back with, um, with them being able to somehow visit from, you know, from, from an overview of that car and then in a soft way, seeing themselves there and then feeling like they were cared for and that they survived and it's okay that they survived and the other people who didn't you know are, are, are entering into an infinite place and they feel calm for the first time about that incident and they come back so was it factual was it not i don't know they remember themselves being in the accident well, and then they're going back to that accident well my, my, but, my question is in regard to a story where somebody um let's say somebody remembers they were molested and then they doubted afterward. So would you mm -hmm. say that it means that they were or weren't like they remember a story? I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use it as any fact. I wouldn't cause you know, right. We, we, we've had people in ketamine sessions, you know, go, you know, going through self harm and killing and you now dying themselves. Did they actually ever kill themselves? And I know. So it, it's playing out. I get traumas or, or parts it doesn't necessarily mean one thing or the other no okay thank you Jan, as a therapist right when you're sitting there and the person is on ketamine like what's the experience watching somebody who's been through such a trauma i'm asking you a personal question you don't have to answer yeah just like seeing somebody who's been you know has been severely emotionally abused or sexually abused and you're seeing them playing with those emotions. How does it feel for a therapist to see them in such yeah. a powerful yeah. walking it out, whether it's true or not, as far as the, de the details of the story? But, you know, that's yeah. not what the guy just asked. Let's let's say the details yeah. are, are that, but they're dealing with it, which is when you're sitting there for for years, and you, you couldn't get yeah. to some of those points. Like, how does it feel on that part? Yeah, it's it's. I, I I'll tell you as a therapist uh, sitting there, um, it, there's something so profound, something so. I use the word magical, something so otherworldly when, when you're sitting there with a person who is either accessing or you know they're going to a place and then they are able to relate to you what they did. Um, it's, uh, I, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, you can't describe it in words. It's, it's really something that's extremely profound and, 
and uh, humbling to experience, magical to experience. Um, you know, at the training, we, we, I sat there with, we, we, I mean, we had 35 people that were, that were doing this. And we had, you know, some watching many, many people going through this experience. Um, and, um, and I can say that, and uh, hearing the traumas that each one of them went to, hearing clients' traumas as, as, they, as they experience it as well, um, it's, um, it, it's something that is, is hard to put into words, uh, but as a therapist, it's, it's really um, what you dream of. It's, it's people who see themselves as, as bigger, as big as they really are. You know, we try to always tell people, yeah, you know, wow, you have to believe in yourself. These are people that are experiencing, like I was, you know, I, I realized that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm something that's, uh, that's just so much bigger than I thought. And, and my story is so much bigger than it was. And, and this, you know, uh, uh, that, that the world is really one and that you know, what I was limiting myself and how I felt about that story, it's really part of this bigger plan. You know, like to hear these things and to, and to know that you're watching this take place is something that um, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. You don't need, you don't need a therapy session afterwards? Oh, do, do you need, <laughs> yeah. you need many, yeah. Um, an interesting question. What would you tell somebody who knows that they went through real trauma when they were young and they've never went back there? It's too scary. They know it, it has an effect in their life, but they just don't want to go back there. They don't want to touch it. Mm -hmm. What would you tell mm -hmm. such a person? Yeah. yeah that, and that's not a, that. a guy who's functioning the way he is. Not that he doesn't want to go there and he's, he's depressed oh, and he's yeah, functioning. He's functioning, but now you're opening up a can of worms that is a candida open. That's the question. Yeah, yeah. That's a very personal thing. My, my general answer to that is, is you don't have to, you don't have to go back to traumas. There's no, there's no mitzvah, to go back. It's, it's something that it, it, you go back as needed. Um, that, that's, that's my, my, uh, take on it and if and if it becomes necessary at some point in the person's life then at that point let the person go back to preempt or to or to say that a person has to if a person is functioning and life is going on then then you know, let live live and let live i i don't think that uh, the people that again would see it differently that's that's my opinion i don't think that a person has to uh proactively go back what what i'll just tell you you know, parenthetically, what, 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 what sometimes does happen is that in the future, there are things that happen where, where there's a loss or there's uh, an experience that happens. And then people for the first time have to, have to you know, are, are, are dealing with this new thing that uh, you know, one trauma then brings back and links to, to other things. And sometimes people have to go back at different points in life because, because they're facing something. But until then, or even if someone faces something and it doesn't bring them back to that old thing and they're functioning well, so then uh, if they're functioning well enough, then, then, then that, I think that that's okay. So let's try to hop around a few more live. There's a lot of live, but a few more we'll take. Okay, you're on. Hi. <laughs> you're muted? Yep, you're muted. Hi, you're on, Ben. 
Hello. Okay. Okay, you're on. Hi. Um, a very, very simple question. It sounds like, from my understanding of listening to you, that that the, this treatment particularly actually taps the unconscious mind in a very deep, extensive way, and you, from the way you've been conveying it to the last half hour, it sounds as if uh, it, it essentially removes your body and your mind, separates the two, and it brings you into an alternate dimension of thought and reality, which is just, you know, the unconscious mind obviously, you know, taps into feelings and, and emotions that are uncomfortable. And then you have the subconscious between the two of them, the barrier between conscious awareness. So yeah. is this like, for someone with experience with addiction and trauma and everything in between, um, you know, is it something you recommend or not? Um, this is, you know, what, what what can you just express on on you know on this particular, I guess, on, on this from this angle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the answer is, uh, if there's if a person is in an actual dissociative state or you know has multiple personalities or in a in a manic state, you don't want to do it. But if a person is grounded enough, um, then it is something that can be really a a deep profound significant part a breakthrough for for many people in terms of their trauma work in terms of their addiction work um it's not necessary if people are gaining there are many other ways to like i've said to get uh, to, to a lot of these different points through hard work through consistent work uh, through mindfulness through meditation through somatic work through emdr there are a lot of modalities that are effective for trauma through good psychotherapy through learning, through davening, um, is, and that you can broaden your perspective and, and, and grow neural networks through exercise and through yoga and through, they're all good. Um, but in terms of going back to some deep, deep trauma work where people can't uh, access that on their own in other modalities, this is, uh, and this is going to be in the future, um, uh, even more and more of a, um, of a used, an effective way to work with that. Let me just ask you a question, just um, in addition to that. Um, does it, you revisit a certain, a certain state of the unconscious mind, does it reinstate that in your existence or it just essentially expands your perception of your own reality? Um, I, I wanna understand your question. If you go back to a memory, then what does it do? Um, so let me give you an example, and then maybe this will answer your question, right? So let's say you have someone who, who was, um, was sexually abused, right? So then on, on an MDMA session, what, one of the experiences can be, they suddenly go back, they're hovering in the ceiling of that room, they can see themselves on the floor or in that uh, area, you know, where they were sexually abused, and suddenly they, they have a deep compassion for that little boy who is in that room being sexually abused. So they're going back to this memory, but they finally feel this deep compassion rather than this criticism or this self-blame. So there's this new profound experience that now is how they experience that trauma. It's not just about the self-blame that they've had for the last 30, 40, 50 years, but now they're looking at that same experience suddenly with an open heart with how a therapist would see, for example, that 
that child or how uh, a friend would see that child. They suddenly see themselves in that way because they're out of themselves. They have this heart opening experience looking at themselves in that type of a way. That can be an example of how how, how the healing can take place on an MDMA session for, for sexual trauma. And they can be talking about that. Now I see myself and they can start crying. What a, what a, what a, what a you know, simple, innocent, beautiful kid that child is and how evil that person is. And I have such compassion. And this person can be crying while they're talking about that on the MDMA, in the MDMA session. And therefore, they leave that experience with a profound just sympathy and empathy for themselves that they never had. Up until now, it was always that they were frozen, that they were harsh with themselves, or that they were frightened to go back there. And suddenly they didn't have any inhibition. They went right back. Well, they didn't go right back there, but what we're talking about in the session, that can be a small part of it. Okay. Let me just, let me, yeah, let me, just add, let me just add one very quick thing. Um, I hear what you're saying. It sounds like in the step work of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, a, a, a part of the core foundation of, of addiction abuse comes from resentments, you know, doing frivolous moral inventory. So I would ask what you just said, sounds to me like you're, you're going back, revisiting those memories, creating a reality in that part of your unconscious state and coming to terms with it and, and accepting and embracing what has happened and coming back to your natural yeah. form. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. You're being let's take uh, like one more, two more. So many questions. I'm sorry. The other one wants to understand it. Okay, you're on. I'll try to turn off. Hold on. Okay, you're on. Okay. Hi, right, first of all, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Benyam, for bringing up this topic. Um, I just wanted to anecdotally uh, advocate it, um, the use, the therapeutic use of psychedelics for a second. Um, I myself, I'm a from guy in my 20s, from my family. Um, and I had a, a hard childhood. I had a little bit of a uh, hard past and um, it wasn't, I, I never had an addiction, thank God, or really, really severe trauma, but it definitely was holding me up a little bit. And um, I had the opportunity to uh, experience psilocybin uh, mushrooms and uh, being watched and in a very safe location, et cetera. And uh, it definitely changed my life for the better. I definitely got a lot more uh, clarity I recognize that I just had certain ways of looking at the world that was self-defeating and really holding me back. So uh, I think I think uh, a lot of people could uh, could gain from being aware of it and having the opportunity to use it. And I also just had a question. I don't know. I don't know if this is being researched in uh, in the clinics, but I know that amongst people, it's something that is discussed or debated. Is there any conversation regarding uh, microdosing? It means um, taking a small amount over a uh, continuous period of time. Yeah, there, there's, that's not the focus of tonight because tonight we're talking more about the 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 the, the assisted the psychedelic assisted psychotherapy piece. But there is a lot uh, on microdosing, and that's um, that's more of a, a psychiatric piece being used in different ways. So I, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to comment on. It. I'm just talking more about the the, the psychedelic psychotherapy piece. Okay. Okay. Let's go to one more live now. They're on. No, it's what? Hi. Yes. Hi. Um, I just want to to uh, go over a little bit and um, see if I understood it well. So you're basically saying that 
um, so, so I understand the whole concept. So let's say you're saying that a, a person is is starting off his life in a normal in a normal um, happy way, and then it comes certain things that traumatic experiences or abuse or whatever, and then he fell under he fell under the problem, and then his life's starting to go crooked, and then he has to go for therapy and go back to that that places and and fix it fix it where you went wrong. And you're doing it in a quick way. You're doing, uh, you, so, so it's basically a method to go back to that experience and fix when, whatever, whenever in your life you felt under, you fell under your problem. So that's, that's what I, I don't know if I understand well. I'm just trying to, to, right, to, right. Uh, what, not what, necessarily, what? not necessarily, because I, what I would say is, is that the ego shuts down, the brain goes where it needs to go. Sometimes it doesn't go back necessarily to the to the memory that that uh, to that specific thing, but the just in and of itself, experiencing the world from a whole brand new place, where where the person uh, doesn't have the old patterns of thinking, of feeling, of seeing things, even if they don't specifically go back to a trauma, um, the self is felt differently and can move forward and feel different about itself, about emotions, about how it thinks and feels um, moving forward, um, you know, A, on its own. So um, th that can be, that can that itself can be, like with the terminally ill people and, and Johns Hopkins, it wasn't that they went back to any trauma specifically, they just felt different about their terminal illness because they had this uh, experience of themselves as being larger than just their body, being one with the universe, and they felt infinite that their death would mean, you know, that uh, not the end of themselves. And they really had a tangible experience of that. So, so it's not that they went back necessarily to a trauma. That and that, so it, it can affect how the person feels and sees their life, even if it's not going back to a specific trauma. Let's hop around one more, and then we're going to go to. I want to ask you one more question, then we'll go to closing. Okay. Okay. Go. We go. Okay, thank you. Um, first off, thank you all for doing this. This is a fascinating conversation. I wanted to very quickly touch on four different things that were mentioned tonight. First off, a very helpful way to understand the different types of psychedelics is that their psychedelic is actually an umbrella term and there's subcategories. For instance, there's disassociatives, which include ketamine. There's empathogens, which include MDMA. There's hallucinogens, which are mushrooms and DMT. There are entheogens, there are deliriums, and so on. So not all psychedelics are the same. The second thing is, is that someone raised a question about uh, ayahuasca and avodazara. So I've actually spoken to a dian who has given a specific heter for a traditional ayahuasca ceremony, provided some things were changed over Maris Ayan. But he, this dian doesn't want his name shared, but there, it, it's been discussed. Uh, the third thing is, is that uh, Coach Menachem, I believe, asked, what if someone sees something or goes back to something that they weren't ready to? Now, I, I'm a therapist. I work with clients. And it's very important that our clients understand that they're in the present. And the reason that they forgot things was because that was some, a protection that they needed then. But if they can realize that they're now in the present, then that's a very, very helpful thing. And hopefully they're in the space where they can go back to that. And finally, just early on, it was kind of implied that these are new researchers, new research is being done. Actually, uh, some cultures have had histories of using psychedelics for at least several hundred years now, and specifically for healing trauma. So mm -hmm. thanks again. I just yeah. wanted to share all that. Sure. Dominic, is he, is he correct or should we uh, 
which we are going to have. No, no, they're, they're, all, they're all wonderful and valid points. And um, I think that, that, you know, there's a big, um, there's a lot of talk that we're not even talking about several hundred years that um, was there, whether, was, was there use, you know, what's, what's the place of psychedelics? How old you know, are we, you know, 1950s, is this the first time or, or has this been around? Um, and, and they want to say that, um, that there was a place in the, um, you know, in the, Ulyss in the mysteries of Ulysses, you know, they had erg ergot, which was like aspects of, of barley that they would put into their drinks that were ready. Uh, there were psychedelic uh, properties then. Um, you know, were there any, was there any place in, in Yiddishkeit in the past that, um, that had any psychedelics? There's a lot discussed and written. Um, was there a place for this? Was there not? I, I, I know nothing, but but there are people that are that are trying to to write and research this, and um, definitely in other cultures, uh, this has been used. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you for bringing up those points. Gentlemen, I have one last question to ask you, and then we'll go to closing. Sure. That's okay. Okay. Um, do you think going? I'm just this is a hypothetical question. Just something that I'm thinking about recently because I'm sure everybody can relate. We have family members or people that we know that are severely not well, bipolar, emotionally disturbed, you know, people that live in hospitals. I don't know, people have, you know, we all have family members, yeah. people that are not well. Do, do you believe down the road as they really fine tune these medications with more and more studies and they're, they're opening up the concepts of trying it, that people that, are, that we're, we're or that people that would live a very crippling life because of their bipolar, because of their mental illness, yeah. once they fine tune some of these LSDs or something, actually have a hope of getting much more balanced or that once you pass, because you mentioned something like you would never do somebody who's like mentally not stable, you know, put them into the office or ketamine because that, that would be like rock the boat. But that's because we're just not holding there yet and you could foresee it going down that road. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll tell you over, this is not Benjamin Tepper, you know, what, what the field is saying is, is that psychedelics are a game changer for psychiatry, for psychology, for trauma work. Uh, we're, we're at the beginnings of this, but um, that, that's how people um, in the field are seeing this, that the potential is enormous. It doesn't mean that they're replacing therapists, all the, no, the opposite, that they'll be needed more, but, but to, to do it correctly and to do it right. But these are, these are medicines that in the right context, for the right people, used in the right way, um, are, are going to help a lot of people. Um, for what, for how, I think that will, they'll develop much more uh, specific ways of doing it, which medicines are good for which stuff. They're, they're not there yet. Uh, but, um, but I think that uh, that's going to protocols are going to start being developed more and which medicines should be used for, for specific disorders. Yeah. Okay. Marie, okay, let's go to closing. There's so much more to ask, but uh... Let's go to close. Okay, first I want to give a good shoyach for coming on tonight. Tonight was a was a very hard topic. I don't think we ever like really went down this road. This was something that was different. I think it was a tremendous chizik because you know people just don't know. I mean, me myself, literally a few weeks ago, I had no concept of this. And I think for people that can relate to it, or people that could benefit from it, it's something that people should know about. I think that should be you know, I think that's the point of doing this year. And 
And you know, we lived in a, we live in a big world, and we're trying to really open up people's minds and concepts. So, with, you know, that, not without the psychedelics, I'm just talking about Pasha. <laughs> Obviously, you know, but um, I think it's a tremendous thing. And anybody that could benefit, or anybody you think that could gain from it, definitely let them know about it. Let them do research on it. And um, you know, what I mean, coming on tonight, giving his time. I think it's a tremendous, you know, eye-opening for a lot of people here. Again, if anybody wants to join the WhatsApp chats, I can send you the flyers every Sunday. WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066, 848-525-0066, and save the number in your phone. And every Sunday, I will send you the flyer. <clears throat> Again, for anybody who's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30 Eastern time, we do a share. We have a lot of topics. You're a bonum therapist. We bring on the best of the best. Rabbi that's why you're here. So I'm just letting you know. Next Sunday, February 6th, we're going to have an amazing share with Reb Chaim David Stark from Israel's Mishkiach and Center Yeshiva, talking about Kedusha in our generation, thriving in an unfiltered world, a deep conversation, understanding, you know, Kedusha from the hearts, the eyes, the soul, everything to really what makes us special. So it should be uh, a deep share. He's in Israel, so he's wake up 4.30 in the morning for it. Please, uh, we could at least come at 9.30 at night, so if you can wake up 4.30 in the morning. So please join, tell people to join about it. Um, everything is recorded. The will be on menachembernfeld.com, his website. If anybody has any questions, please email coachmanacham at gmail.com. And again, if anybody wants to get a hold of Dr. Biyam Tepfer, he's going to give you his personal home address and his cell phone number. But you can probably go to his website. What is it? Arbor Intensive? What's the website? Arborintensives.com. Arborintensives.com. Look him up, and I'm sure you can contact him through there. Tonight's share is share 89. And anybody wants to hear this on the phone, we'll be on the phone stream tomorrow at 848-777-GROW. Again, a special thank you to the Lakewood Scoop, Rabbi Yanif Chazak. Chayla Kaufman and Shmuel Summer from JCN, the Jewish Contact Network. And the, Co the Coach Menachem Show is collaborating with OK Clarity to bring greater health and wellness to the Jewish community. OK Clarity is the online platform for mental health support. For the Jewish community, go to okclarity.com. Let's go to closing. Coach Menachem, you're first. Then Benjamin, then we, 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 we pass it to you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Benjamin, for being here. You know, I think it's a, it's a fascinating topic. And you know, like you say, it's only the beginning. But, you know, we, we do live in, we live in a world where people want things to happen fast. So, you know, they might think that this is the answer, but traditionally, you know, we're here to work and uh, sometimes it's hard. Uh, sometimes whether it's tefillah or some singing and dancing can take you to different places, um, learning, uh, like you mentioned, meditation. Um, but for people who actually live in dark places and uh, struggling with their uh, whatever, whatever struggles they and they tried whatever they tried and it hasn't worked and this this sounds like it's something that actually works. We we are actually gonna have in two weeks. Um, Red Daniel Katz. He's gonna be talking about how we can feel and go to these altered states in just. Um, Without all these things, whether it's meditation, I also don't know, I'm wondering, and hopefully he'll explain it, but he calls it supernatural. And it's the way, whether it's with Hasidus or with Musar or with, with his Baidados, whatever it is. So I think for those who don't need that, they're not hitting the wall, but they want to grow. They want to hear, they want to see more, they want to feel more, whether it's yourself with Hashem, connection, davening, and learning. So um, stay tuned, Demir Hashem. So thank you very much, Rabbi Yom, for being with us tonight, and hopefully whoever needs it, Demir Hashem, they should get the help they need. Okay, I just want to spell out Rabbi Yom because people are texting; they didn't hear it clearly. Um, if anybody wants to get a hold of Rabbi Yom, it's Arbor Intensives. It's A R B O R I N T E N S I V E S. You can look them up on a line, and you could uh, contact them via there. 
Rabbi again, thank you for coming on. Please leave us with deep words. The floor is yours, uh, as long as you right. want. So uh, just to end how, how uh, it's similar to how we started, which is that when, when there's something that feels frozen, when there's something that feels like it's stuck, like that clock, so Hashem sends in the world things that that can unstick, can can break things open, and what that is in a person's life um, is is sent to that person in in many different forms, in many different ways, and in the history of the world, it's sent. Um, and I think that what we're what we're what's being uncovered now is is that for the for certain people who need it, uh, Hashem is sending into the world. Um, a, another means of, of, of allowing people who got frozen at 315 uh, at that point or whatever it was in, in, in their life and they haven't moved forward. A way that may help uh, people, certain people, is going to be um, with the use of these medications. And, and I think that it can be done in a healthy, normal way, which is that we're not looking at it that uh, I, I became one with the universe and God. These are a person has to know every little journey comes to an end. In a dream, you can go to different places. No one's having dimyayness. It has to be done in a healthy, normal way, with a healthy, normal perspective, um, that the person understands that the imagination is going to be able to uh, to go to far off places, but that they come back into the room and that they're, they're, they're still, you know, uh, you know uh, walking out and getting wet if it's raining and holding their umbrella and uh, I still get hungry two minutes later for lunch. But but they understand that it's able to just give a little taste, a little emotional experience of, of, of being in a broader place. And we can do that, like you were saying, not just uh, this way, but all of us can, can, can open up our hearts more, can open up our, our minds more. You know, right? we, we, we say, that's what we're trying to do. So these medicines allow people who are traumatized to have as a heart opening and a harchavas adas, and if it's used in that type of way, um, with davening or with uh, with uh, with siyata deshmaya, hopefully it can help people. Um, but all of us, uh, even without using these things, can can open up our hearts and can try to expand our minds and to 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 become more one with other people and 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 see the bigger picture of things. I think that's what we're all yearning and and, and our advice is to do it not, not necessarily with these medications without that. And those that need it should should get the help that they need with these medications. That's my closing thought. Amen. Thank you so much. See everybody next week, same time, same place, Rabbi Center with uh, Rabbi Stark. Looking forward. Thank you very much. Good night, everybody. Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. And it will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance.